0: I shared a story about a pool in Berea, Kentucky, where I learned how to swim. It was awesome. Random place, a pool that changed my life. This week, we're going to look at a pool in Jerusalem. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. And nobody's learning how to swim, but it is going to change somebody's life. That's where we're looking at today. It's in John chapter 5. And so no long introduction necessary. But we're going to look there, we're going to read it together. John chapter 5, we're look at the pool of Bethesda and how Jesus encounters a man who has been in a unhealthy, crippled, debilitating condition for 38 years and how Jesus encounters him that changes his life. We're in a series called Encounters with Jesus and we're looking through the book of John and how these encounters with Jesus transform people's lives. And I believe today that you can encounter Jesus and that will transform your life. That's why we're here today. That's why we meet, that's why we gather, that's why we still proclaim the gospel. Because we believe that when you encounter the living God, Jesus Christ, your life will be changed. So let's read this together. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. A great number of disabled people Used to lie The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed One who, was, who had been there An invalid for 38 years let me, let me read that again One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there And learned that he had been in this condition For a long time He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, but Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That God had His blessing to His word. Now, before we dig into this, I want to ask you to uh, look back and see. Tell me what verse four says. Look in your Bible real quick. See if you got that there. Verse four. Let so read that to me. Who's God? Move the King James. If you have King James, you have it. Okay, so real quick, before we get into the sermon portion, I want to just give you a brief aside on a biblical understanding. Um, Sometimes in in newer modern translations, there are verses that are actually excluded. This would be one text where there is a verse excluded from a modern translation. The reason for that is that as folks who are called textual critics look at all of the manuscripts, which is about 5,000 plus. Manuscripts of the New Testament portions or full manuscripts of the New Testament as they look through these They piece together what they believe the original manuscript Said we don't have any copies. We have zero copies of the original called autographs of the Bible the original manuscripts, but we have many 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 uh, Copies of these and so when they made the King James 1611 uh, what is that 400 500 years ago 400 years ago? Okay? They have less they had discovered in archaeology, less manuscripts at that time, 400 years ago. So they used what they had and they made the King James Bible. Today, we have more and more copies of the New Testament because they've discovered this. And they're older copies. And so when they look back, they can discover verses and portions that may not have been in the older copies. So in this instance, this, this verse 4, which is talking about how the angels stirred the water... Many uh, text scholars believe that this was a side note, just like if you have a study Bible. So they put little things in my Bible, the study Bible, to put stuff down here. Um, And this probably was a side note that was added to make sense of this story. Because if you didn't know about the angel and the pool and what in the world this guy was doing here with water, it wouldn't make as much sense, right? So along the way, they added a side note, which may have been true. And somehow it worked its way into the text later on. So that's that's your um, classwork for now. That we'll get into. Is that cool? Does that make sense? So does it doesn't mean that the Bible has got errors and that we can't believe anything. But it is interesting to study this and try to understand where we're coming from. If someone asks, where's this verse? The Bible's all messed up. There's there's reason for this. And so this is it. this is good information, but it, it may not have been in the original writing of John. It was just probably something that was added to clarity what was going on in the story. And so, here we go. So we're going to break down this passage of Scripture. If you have notes, you can feel free to write them down. Uh, last week we had eight points. This week we have four. This is half as good of a sermon as last week. I'm sorry. So, it'll be okay. It's only half as good. More points, the better, right? Or actually, it's twice as good because there's less points that you get out sooner. Just depends on how you have it. Bang. extra bang. But the first one is this. We're going to look at this, this passage, four things. First one says, Jesus shows up where there is need. Jesus shows up where there is need. The pool of Bethesda was a gathering place for those with weaknesses. The literal word and translated from the Greek um, is astenos, is the Greek word, which means literally weakness. And it's a word that's used often when Jesus goes and heals those who are sick calls it sick, sometimes invalids. Um, the King James translates as impotent. This word literally means you have a weakness. It's just a generalized problem in your life. Now think about humanity. Do we not all have weaknesses? Do we not all have issues? Do we not all have struggles? And this pool was a gathering place for those who had come to a grips with their weaknesses. Let's all show up here because maybe we can get some help. Maybe we can get something that will help us in our weaknesses. They show up They sit there and as the the legend was, the angel or something happened where the waters were troubled. They were stirred. And if somebody got in, the first person apparently could find healing, could find hope, could find something to help them with their struggle. This 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 is the situation of people. We all have weaknesses. Some of us don't gather at the pool. Some of us haven't come to grips with those. Some of us like to pretend like we don't, but then there's those that realize, hey, I I really do have issues. I do really have problems, and I want help, and I want healing, and so I'm trying to get there, and this is all that's afforded to me is maybe something where only a few people find help, and I'll put myself in that situation. But you think about it, I'm sure the pool of Bethesda was not the coolest place to hang out. Like, if you're you're doing good and you got it going on, you're not gonna hang out in the pool of Bethesda with all these people, these problems and issues in their life, these weaknesses, I'm going to go hang out in some other pool. I'm going to go hang out, you know, where where all the pool people go. You know, where's the one with the diving board? Where's the one with the, the high dive? And I think about when I was a teenager, we used, um, used to work landscape when I was a junior in high school, and um, in the summer, I landscaping, you know, go cut some grass, and then I was all hot and sweaty, and we'd go to the pool, and I'd meet up with my buddy, David, and we would... Uh, We'd go to like his neighborhood pool or my pool and be like, ah, oh, nothing's happening here. Let's find a pool where the, something's happening, you know, where, where people are. Let's go, we'll go pool hopping around Little Bird, Georgia, you know, whatever's happening there, which is not much. But we would just go around and see where our buddies were or whoever was. And, and, and you know, we were not trying to go to the lamest pool where, where all people were struggling. We were trying to go where all the people were. You know, everything was going great. There was a big party going on or something. Uh, at least that's what was going on in our body. Uh, but Jesus goes to the place where people have needs. He goes to the place intentionally where the multitude is afflicted with various weaknesses. And and, and what we look over often in this text and and throughout the Bible is that Jesus doesn't have to do this. We just assume he does because he's God and that's what God does. But think about it. Why does God have to come and help us? Why does God have to come and care about those who are struggling? Why does he have to do that? Other than that's his nature. But truly, I mean, there's a lot of other religions, a lot of other uh, uh, pictures of who God is that, that proclaim God to be far and distant and, and unconcerned with our problems. If you study the God of his love, he's not concerned with your problems. He's not concerned with your issues. He's far and distant and great and mighty. You better shape up and hope he just looks on your life with some sort of mercy. But the God of, uh, the, God of the Bible is one of love and mercy. And he comes to the pools of Bethesda where people are struggling, where people are hurting. And he shows up in that space, not because because of some obligation, but because he wants to. He wants to. Jesus shows up where there is need. Contrary to Jesus, we read in this passage later with the Jewish leaders. They have no concern. This man is healed. They're like, hey, what are you doing, buddy? They're not happy that he's healed. They're like, hey, you're breaking one of our laws. You, you know, what, do you, what are you doing about it? man? This is, this is messed up. They're not excited this man was healed. They're just worried that he's breaking a law. There's so many people that don't even care about what people are going through or what they, or the progress that they're making or where they're at. They're just worried about their little world that they're living in. But Jesus cares about meeting people's needs. We see in the Bible, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. He reaches out to the broken, the lepers, the outcasts. So think about this. Think about ourselves. Do we steer clear from the pools of Bethesda of our name? Do you try to create a world, a bubble, where you live in, where you're not surrounding yourself with people with weaknesses, where you got a life of of, of relative comfort, where people around you, they're all doing pretty well, where everything's doing okay. And, and, you know, it's sometimes uncomfortable to get in that space where somebody's hurting, where somebody's going through something, because it's it's messy, it's difficult. But do we create a little safe world for ourselves, or do we show up like Jesus to those places where people are hurting? This is what God's call is on our life. Not just go to the the pools of 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 the wealthy and and the rich The pools of, of people who are doing fine But to go to these places of brokenness And to show up and to bring the love of Christ That's what he's calling us to do Number two Jesus searches for the one Jesus searches for the one In the story by Jesus Coming to one man in a crowd Twice in this text It talks about that there's a multitude And there's a crowd of people there's a lot of people in this pool and a lot of them are struggling, a lot of them are hurting. And what's what's interesting, we don't always think of this either, but Jesus doesn't pull a bingy hen and just go woo, like whatever. You ever seen on like TV where he just like wave and all these people fall over and you know, everybody got blessed and touched. And he doesn't just come in there and just do some magical pixie dust and everybody's healed, they're all jumping up and dancing. You know, at, at some level, maybe that sounds absurd, but yet, we think, well, wouldn't it be better if Jesus just healed everybody? Because that's how I would feel sometimes, right, today. But Jesus comes to one man in the midst of many, and he works in this one man's life, and there's many he didn't come to. That's troubling when you, when you start breaking that down, but why would he do this? What about the other folks, didn't they matter? Why just one man getting healed? This is a tough question, but this, isn't cert- this is certainly the only time in Jesus' ministry Healed one but not another And this is a mystery And there's many things in the Bible And many things about following God That are mysterious The things that sometimes we have a hard time Grasping And I think God does this intentionally So that we have to put faith and trust in Him Everybody doesn't get healed Are we still going to trust God? Everything doesn't always work out For everybody Are we still going to put our faith in him or is that going to cause us to lose faith? We have to embrace the mystery of life where God works in in ways we can't always understand. But here's another way to think of it. Jesus' ministry at that time was not aimed at merely being the best medical doctor in Palestine. He was not showing up at that point in history to make everybody's aches and pains go away. For, for 33 years or three years of his ministry, however you want to look at it, his objective to come into the world was not just to take away sickness for three years and people would eventually live a little bit longer and then die. He had a much bigger goal of his ministry. And did he heal? Yes. Did he come to the, meet people's needs? Yes. But his ministry was greater than that. See, Jesus' ministry was practical. He did come to meet needs. He did come to help people and meet their point of need. But His ministry is also symbolic. And I think when he came on earth, it's symbolic of what he wanted to do for everyone. You know, there's a leadership principle that that Andy Stanley will teach. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for all. So if if somebody asks, you know, this is a leadership thing. So if you're leading a group of people and, and, and somebody says, hey, I need a new printer in your office, and you can't buy everybody a new printer. But... You you don't say, Well, I can't buy everybody one, so I can't get you one. But but instead, get the person a printer, and it's symbolic of what you wish you could do for everybody else, right? That's a leadership principle. Now, I know Jesus could probably heal everybody, so this isn't quite the same thing. But I do believe when Jesus does things, they're also they're practical, yet they're symbolic. And Jesus coming to this one man is symbolic of what he will do today with everyone. This is symbolic of the kingdom of God, what this is all about. Jesus' healings are a foretaste of what is to come. It's like a sample of what the kingdom of God is all about. It's a sample of what God is going to do. Jesus ministers to crowds, but he gravitates to individuals. He said in his Last Supper discourse later, we can read it in the book of John, that it is good that I'm going to go to the Father because when I go, the Spirit will come and he can minister to all. See, now... Jesus can minister to every single person Like he did to this man at the pool Because he by his spirit Ministers to each one of us And meets us at our point of need And Jesus coming to this man Is symbolic of what he will do to you, to do for you today He will meet you where you are Jesus is always looking for that one It's the parable of, of the shepherd Leaving the 99 to go meet that one person Jesus is always looking for that one Who's, who's looking at life Like there is no hope Jesus is reaching out for that one. You may be that one here today. You just don't understand what's going on with life. You don't know where God is. He's reaching out to you today. You are that one that he's looking for. He's still searching for that one person in the crowd. The one person who feels hopeless, forgotten, undeserving, unworthy. Jesus is still calling you by name. Number three is this. Jesus speaks life and healing. To even the most hopeless and undeserving situations. Jesus speaks life and healing. To even the most hopeless and undeserving situations. This man had adopted a very unfortunate mental framework. We look at the text here. Jesus asked him when he comes to him and learns of his condition. 38 years. 38 years being in a broken state. We don't know exactly what his illness was. Maybe it was something to do with his inability to walk. It seems like he has a hard time uh, getting from point A to point B when he says, I I don't know what to help me get in the pool, I can't get there. So Maybe he has a a, a struggle with walking or or whatever it might be, we don't know. But he's lived this this way for 38 years. I'm gonna be 38 in a month. I can't imagine for that length of time and some of you laugh, 38. haha, so young. But I mean, that's a long time to be To go through sickness, illness Struggle, and maybe at some point In his life he knew he knew what it was like To walk, he knew what it was like to, to live a normal Life, but he's been in this state for a long Period of time, and he had adopted This unfortunate middle framework, Jesus Comes to him, and many people center on this question When they look at this passage, because this is A powerful question, and Jesus Asks him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What an odd Question to ask somebody Who's by a, a pool that is rumored to have miraculous power And you're sitting there wanting to get in the water What an odd question to ask somebody Who appears by all, by all uh, You know, all appearances Looks like the man is intending to get well Doing what he can That's the one question Jesus asked him Do you want to get well? But the funny thing is he doesn't just say Yes He comes with an excuse And if I have bad humor I would call it a lame excuse, Right? Thank you, Darrell. I love the iron. I did it for you, Darrell. I did it for you. Okay, so he comes with his his excuse. And this excuse is: well, I have no one to help me. When the waters are stirred, I can't get there. And, and so he doesn't he doesn't just answer Jesus' question. He comes in his mental framework of answering a, a yes, but. Yes, I want to get well, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I do, but I I still show up here all the time. I don't know that he lived there, but he showed up there. And I'm here, but it's never going to happen. I've given up. I'm here, but I've given up. It's funny how we we put ourselves in these positions. Some people still come to church, but they've given up. Yes, but it's for other people. Yeah, I want to get out of this situation. I want my life to look like this. I want to be here. I want to be there, but it's never going to happen for me. Maybe somebody else. I don't have anybody to help me. I'm all by myself. It's interesting. This guy's mental framework. He put himself in a good position, but he had given up. And he was miles away from any solution. This man lived with a a sense of loneliness. He had no one to help him. It applies here that others did Could have been other caregivers there. Maybe people have family, friends. Who knows? But this man was on his own. No one to help him. I'm, I'm here watching other people on occasion be healed something happened for them something happened for him I'm stuck here and I can never quite get there I can Never quite make the effort never quite get to where I want to be I'm getting close, but I'm just not ever getting there and he's come to a point where he realizes, or he, he starts to think This will never ever happen for me Maybe somebody else but not me And this is the guy that Jesus shows up to The guy who had probably the least hope of anybody at this place. That's why he shows up to this guy, because this guy probably was the the last one to ever make it there. He's gonna say, you know what, this is the guy I want. This is the the one sheep that wandered off that I'm gonna come to. The guy who's lonely, without hope, looking at life with such hopelessness and such problems. You know, often when we look at, just look at this from a practical standpoint, this guy says that, uh, you know, I have no one to help me. I was thinking, you know, sometimes it is true that when we have people to help us, we have a better chance of getting better. You know, in in a very practical sense, um, when we isolate ourselves from people, we sometimes will be that distance from our our solution. We'll always be further than we can get. We need the body of Christ. We need one another. And a lot of times we say, I have no one to help me. But the truth is we do. We do have someone to help us. We just haven't reached out. We haven't really expressed our need. We haven't really come and asked for any help. I'm not saying that's this guy's issue. But sometimes that's our issue. We want to live in a world where we believe we have no one to help us. We believe we're all by ourselves. But that really should never be true. When you're part of the body of Christ, that should never be true. Because you have a church family. You have people in your court. You have people that love you, that are going to pray for you, that are going to be there with you. Now, can they solve your problems? No. But we have people to help us. Let's not forget that. When we're part of the church body, we have people that can help us to a degree, that can pray with us, that can lift us up. Let's not pretend for a moment that we are this man because we're not in that desperate situation we're part of the body So let's not isolate ourselves and put ourselves in this situation because we have people that are part of the body of Christ But let's look at this because often people look at this and that's where the whole sermon is Do you want to get well? And so you have to come to the group. And say, yes, I want to get well or not And I think there's some power to that But let's look at what really happens because whether this man decided he wanted to get well or not, look what Jesus does. Jesus just says, okay, we'll get up and walk. He didn't wait for the man to have a, a good answer. He didn't wait for the man to demonstrate a powerful faith. He didn't wait for the man to um, go through a couple courses and classes and, and get something straight. He just said, you know what, whether or not you have the faith, whether you not or you're get to the right mental a framework, whatever, I'm just going to heal you. I'm just going to, because I want to, I'm going to come and I'm going to heal you. Jesus does not let this man's excuse stop what he wants to do. This is an awesome thing. This is an awesome thing that God can, he can bypass our excuses and do what he wants in our life. I love this about God because sometimes we we will just screw everything up It was all up to us. We, we will get in the complete way. If it was all up to us, we would, we would blow everything up. But God will rescue us and come in the midst of our lack of faith, our lack of hope, our lack of whatever. He will do what he wants to do in our life. This is the God we serve. We look to him because he loves us that much. You may be hopeless this morning. You may be wondering how you're going to get out of where you are, what's going to happen. It doesn't matter because God is able. God is able. He's able to lift you up no matter what way of thinking you're at this morning. He can lift you up. And that's what he does for this man. He doesn't wait for him uh, to just have some faithful, you know, even just speak the word and I'll be healed, like some of these other stories. No, this man's like, I don't even know how this is going to work. I can't even... Well, just get up then. I'm going to heal you right now. And that's what he says to me. Just get up. The man gets up. That's all he does. He heals him, but he has to respond in action. He has to get up. That's it. Okay. Okay. I'll get up he takes his mat and he walks off. Jesus doesn't hang around he did I mean, I'm sure if you think about Jesus ministry he's not trying to get this huge crowd stirred up so if you see one guy get healed I mean everybody's gonna start coming to the party big things craziness going he just kind of slips off but this is not the last encounter he has with this man this is not the last time he talks to him because Jesus has something greater for him in the future So here's the last point this morning. And we'll wrap it up. Final point is this holiness is greater than healing. Holiness is greater than healing. And this is a point that this is we're just looking at the Bible. This is good because I'm not just trying to write a sermon based on some ideas that came in my head. I'm trying to look at the, the scripture and really be honest and true with what it's saying. So this is good because when, when we go through scripture like this, when you read it, you can do the same thing. It's, you know, you can read the Bible and try to just pull out what it's saying. And so this is a part of the scripture that sometimes maybe we don't want to hear. We just like, hey, the dude got healed, got lifted up, went on his merry way. Praise be the Lord. All right. But then it gets a little different in this story. It's it a little interesting. And I was thinking about this. Holiness is greater than than healing. This is interesting. The next two interactions this man has were with the Jews and with Jesus. And they essentially are telling him the same thing. The Jews come to him and tell him, It's the Sabbath, you're carrying your mat, the law forbids it. Basically, dude, stop sinning. But their definition of sin is going to be different than what Jesus is. Jesus comes to him in the temple. It says the same thing stop sinning or something worse may happen to you both of these people are, are concerned with this man's sin some degree but the jews their fo- focus is external in fact the law did not forbid a man from carrying his bag. that was a addition to the laws of the sabbath so it was an interpretation of the law oh we can't work so carrying must be working Therefore, you are sin. It was not really in the law. But it was the additions of things that people add. I grew up in the church. I grew up in, back in the day, there was the holiness movement. That was before my time. All right? Maybe you're familiar with this, but back in the old school times, there was this push toward what is holiness, which sometimes is defined as, as being just really round, real tight, and you can't do anything. You know? Like, basically, don't do anything or like sin. You know, that that was kind of almost what it became. And it was similar in a way to the Jews where we would make extra rules and extra laws. And then that's that's really what holiness is about. To have this mentality of, you know, you can play cards, but not with playing cards. It has to be uno. I mean, that's holiness. Because that's gambling and this is not. You know, you can, you can dance, but it can't be this type of dancing or this. You can, can't do the... All these extra things, all these extra rules. And this is what, if you could stay away from that, then you didn't sin and you were a good little boy or girl. That's not at all what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus teaches us to not sin. But he, he deals with not our externals, but with our heart. He's always after our heart. And I believe that's what he's going after in this family. He's not saying, okay, don't carry the back. He just told him to carry the bag. And he goes on from this in long discourse about the Sabbath, about how I'm, all, I'm working, my father's working. This isn't a big deal. He, he's dealing with this man's heart. And he's, he wants to, to leave this man with more than meaningless health. You know, I, I've talked with a lot of people. And, and as we used to have, you know, the recovery programs and whatnot in, in the church and talk with guys that were coming through there. I've talked with a lot of them that would say stuff like, man. Man, I should be dead. I should be dead right now. But God saved my life. You know, God, God spared me. I was in this auto accident. Man, I was just crazy. And they always tell me this crazy story about dude, man. I, you know, I almost hit this tree. I was like so drunk, and then I ran into this thing. And then man, God spared my life. But then you got to ask him. So, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for your life now? Well, for a lot of a lot of folks, it doesn't mean anything. It just means I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. So you should have been dead. God spared your life, but for what? What did he spare your life for? So you could just do whatever you wanted to do. Or so that you could live for him. See, some people don't get that revelation. They see that yeah, God did this. Okay, I give God credit for that. That was amazing, man. This happened, I shouldn't be here. And people will be willing to do that, but, well, but for what? What's the meaning of all that? And, and, and this is what Jesus is coming to this day. So I healed you. What's the meaning of all this? And he's saying the meaning of it is holiness. That you could live a life that's pleasing to me. That you could live a life of purity, of of, of living honestly and and without sin. Now, here's the thing. Is Jesus saying, you you should never sin? Well, yes and no. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, what is the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our Trespasses, As we forgive those who trespass against us Jesus is teaching us to pray On a daily basis For forgiveness for our sins Now think about that If Jesus thought that we would never sin Why would he teach us to pray For daily forgiveness Okay I think I think we can draw it from other scriptures That God is not In any belief that you're going to live perfect Without sin That's not what Jesus is saying Holiness is You will never sin again. Okay? That's not what this means. We will stumble. We will fall. We will make mistakes. We will. There's a difference between being a human being, making mistakes, sinning, and coming before the Lord, saying, forgive me. I need your forgiveness today. I need to walk in your ways. And having a meaningless encounter with God that does nothing to rearrange your life. This is what he did not want for this man. To just say, you know what, I used to be messed up, but look at me now, I'm walking around, now I'm doing what I want. He comes in to give this guy a sense of purpose for his life, and it's not just to do what he wants, but it's to live for a higher purpose. You know, there's something worse. I was I was actually sick this week a little bit, and you know, this flu thing's going around. It's funny when you get sick, how much you miss your health. You know, like you take it for granted. But when you get a virus, or you get something that's like, or you, you know, twist your ankle, or whatever it may be, you realize, wow, you know, a little, this is no fun. And, 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 and yeah, when we get our health back and you start feeling better, it's like, oh. but there's something so much worse than any sickness, any disease, and that's really the impact of sin in our life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Spiritual sickness is far worse than physical sickness. The effects of sin are far worse than Than just having poor health. Jesus wants us to experience the freedom that comes from following his ways, from living in the freedom that he gives. And this power that he gives to heal and to help us out of bad situations is the same power that he's going to give us to walk in the newness of life. That's the power that he wanted to give this man to live in a new way. This is this is not what we always preach in services. Sometimes it's just Jesus gonna help you with your problem, and then you go on and, and that's that's a great encouraging word. But sometimes this is what we need to hear. That that you know, honestly we need to attack those issues of our life that are quite honestly the heart issues of life. It's not always the external things, but it's the things that are in our heart that are very important to God. And we can we can say, Hey, I thank God for helping me, man. Behind on my bills, and you know, when some money came in. I paid my bills. Praise the Lord! And you know, I, I praise God for this and that and all that. But if we don't turn all that into, I want to honor you with my heart and my life and every little bit of who I am. Then we're missing the point. We're missing what God is trying to do because He's not interested in just relieving us from our problems, but He's interested in making us a new creation. That's what He's intending to do in each of us. And so we have to take our sin serious. And it's not the Pharisee stuff. It's not you carried your mat. Oh, no, your hair was too long. Oh, no, it's not all this regulations and rules that sometimes Christianity had gotten turned into. But it's the matters of the heart. We have to be careful. We need to come before the Lord on a regular basis and let the Lord search our hearts and say, Lord, is there any unclean way in me? And if there is, it's, you know, I give it to you. That's what the Lord is teaching us to do each and every day. Purify my heart. Make me who you want me to be. Take this from my life so I can honor you and live for you like you want me to be. Kyle, if you would come. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 but the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I feel like when I grew up in church, you know, Heaven and hell hey, hung in the balance like every Sunday or every Wednesday when we had youth service. It's like, man, I don't want to go to hell. You know, so you got to make sure you get this straight like every week. And uh, maybe that was a little extreme. You know, maybe I wasn't on the verge of, you know, going to hell every week or, you know, one or the other. But I think it's important that we do check our hearts because of, uh, unlike it's taught in just popular American culture It's not all people that are just Nice like 51% of the time Go to heaven That's not what the bible says At least Now you're free to believe whatever you want But if you want to believe the bible The bible teaches that People who surrender their lives to Jesus Receive his righteousness Are those that Spend eternity with him and you can, you can search that. Don't just believe what I'm saying. Search the Bible. Search the scriptures. But salvation is given as a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you can ever earn. It's a gift just like Jesus coming to this man. He could never make it. He was never going to get in the pool. He had no hope. But Jesus comes to each one of us and offers life, salvation, hope. All we have to do is just get up. Take his offer. And then after that, it's not, hey, cool, that's great. But it's, Lord, now can I live for you in my life? Help me each day to walk in your ways. And it's not a heavy load on your shoulders of this laws and rules and regulations. It's so hard being a Christian. you got to do this. You've got to do that. It's, it's a power of the Spirit in your life to live a new way. And God is going to empower you to live differently. And he's going to give you the strength to do it. But you've got to cooperate with it you got to work with it. you got to say, this is my agenda now. I'm going to follow you. Lord, help me now do it. And he will give you the strength to do it. But you got to set that on your radar. you got to say, that's, that's what I'm aiming for now. So if you would just, if you would whip me bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. just want to give us a moment here to reflect on this message. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know it. I truly need, I truly need Jesus to come and do a work in my life. In a way, I'm kind of like this guy in the pool, feel a little hopeless, feel a little lonely. I don't know that I have maybe a relationship with, with God. And I need him to come in my life And do something right now I want to give an opportunity for If that's where you're at For you to be able to respond And I believe that Jesus will do something you In your life I believe that So if that's you here today Would you do this if that's you Would you just lift your hand right where you are I'm not going to single you out or make you feel comfortable But I just want You to be able to do that before the Lord See so you know what? I need Jesus to show up where I'm at right now. I need his hand. I need his help. Right where I'm at. If there's anybody here, that's you. Just feel free. Just lift your hand right where you are. Anybody else? Cool. 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 Maybe you're here this morning and... This message was less about maybe you being at the pool. What you really needed to hear was, you know what, I need to take my own heart serious. I need, to, I need to do a heart check. Maybe you're not, you know, doing crazy stuff or whatever it might be, but you know, just too just too far between saying, Lord, check my heart. I live in righteousness before you. i really trying to do what you want me to do. Maybe the best thing we can do is just take a moment here quietly as, as the band plays a little bit. And just all of us spend a moment and say, Lord, search my heart. If there's anything impure, there's, there's sin in me. Lord, I give it to you. I don't want to just do whatever I want and have meaningless health or meaningless, you know, experiences with you. God, I want my life to be on a target, on a mission for you. God, I don't want to interrupt anything you're trying to do by just doing whatever I want. Lord, search my heart. Let me live holy before you. So let's take a moment as a church. Let's do that. Just one or two minutes. Let's let the Lord search our hearts.